Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. The situation was like this, the Jewish people. There was a very small remnant group, just like Jacob. The very, the very small. And this very small remnant group were the Jewish believers, the Jewish disciples. And so there is today a very small remnant Jewish group of believers that follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as there was a small group of leaders of Levi and Simeon who led and influenced the whole majority, so there was a small group of Jewish leaders of chief priests and scribes and priests and so forth that got the people to yell, crucify him, crucify him. And so there is today a very small group of Jewish leaders of rabbis that get the people to say, you cannot be a Jew and a follower of of the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be a, a Christian and a Jew. And just as there was the majority group of the 10 sons who were persuaded by the small group of the Levi and Simeon too to join in the great sins in this chapter, So there was the majority group of the Jewish people who were persuaded by the leaders, the the priests and the scribes, to yell out to Pilate, crucify him, crucify him. So there is today the majority group of the Jewish people who have been persuaded by the small group of rabbis that no one can be a Jew and believe in Jesus. Now, when the very small remnant group of Jacob said to Levi and Simeon, that they had troubled him down to his soul, that was symbolic. That was symbolic of the very small remnant group of Jewish believers today who have no fellowship, no fellowship with both the small majority of the Jewish leaders and really the majority of the the Jewish people, no spiritual fellowship, who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And the very small remnant group represented by just Jacob is what the Bible is referring to in Romans 11. Romans 11, four through five, but what saith the answer of God unto Elijah? I have reserved to myself 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Even so, at this present time, there's also a remnant according to the election of grace. And in Romans 9, six, they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. It was just this Jacob. He was really walking with God or not walking with Satan, I guess I say. So the work of Jewish missions, like Erm, like Israel Restoration, is to seek out the very small remnant group which will come and decide to come over and stand with Jacob by coming to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the perseverance of Jewish missions, like Israel Restoration, is to endure the rejection 
of the majority of the Jewish people who decide to follow the small group of leaders who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jacob cursed the anger of Levi and Simeon, and then Jacob pronounced on Levi and Simeon really a curse of being divided and scattered. And for Levi, they were scattered throughout Israel, but the curse was turned to a blessing because it was the blessing that Levi became the priest. How could God take a murderer and make him a tender priest to help others? That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. And seeing what Levi did in Genesis 34 as a killer and destroyer of life, and then seeing what God made Levi to become priestly builders in Israel, bringers of life to dead sinners through the sacrifices, that's the marvelous grace of God. And that shows that it's not what we were that's important, but it's what God has made us, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So when we look at Genesis 34, we've got to remember, we've got to remember as we look at Genesis 34, these stones that were on the high priest in the tabernacle, you know, the stones on the breastplate and the stones on the shoulder plate. We've got to remember there was a stone for Levi and there was a stone for Simeon, and there was a stone for the 10 other rest of the sons of Jacob that were on the high priest's shoulder, and they were over the high priest's heart, which teaches us Levi and Simeon and all the sons of Jacob who did these terrible things in Genesis 34 are on the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ as the great priest. And the burden, he's carrying the burdens of them on his shoulders. Now, Jacob, in his lineage, has the first four sons. The first four sons of Jacob, which in order are Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. The birthright passes automatically to the firstborn. And the birthright carries with it certain inheritances and privileges. But the one who receives the birthright is seen as the leader and the representative of the family. So when we look at the family of Jacob, we're looking at the family of the Jewish people. And when we look at the family of Jacob, the question is, who does the birthright of the people of Jacob pass to? The question is, who does the birthright of the Jewish people pass to? This question is asking, who will be the leader and the representative of the Jewish people? The birthright passes to the firstborn unless the firstborn disqualifies himself. Esau was the firstborn, but Esau disqualified himself when he despised his birthright and sold it to Jacob in Genesis 25, 34. Genesis 25, 34. So the birthright then passed on to the next, which was Jacob. Now in Jacob's family, the birthright passed to the firstborn unless... The firstborn disqualified himself. Reuben was the firstborn. But Reuben 
had this unholy interest in the sexual realm of his father, which he had, which he shouldn't have been in. And we see that, we see the seed of that in Genesis 30, verse 14, Genesis 30, verse 14, when it was Reuben who brought this aphrodisiac mandrakes to his mother Leah. Now, Reuben was the firstborn, but in the next chapter, we're going to come to Genesis chapter 35, 22, and see how Reuben disqualified himself as a firstborn when he raped his stepmother, Bilhah. So Jacob pronounced his disqualification because of that in Genesis 49, verse 3, Genesis 49, verse 3, when he said, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength. See, he's acknowledging he's the firstborn. The excellency of dignity, the excellency of power, but then it changes. Genesis 49, 4. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Since Reuben disqualified himself to receive the birthright of the firstborn, the question was then, well, who's going to be the leader and representative of the Jewish people if it's not Reuben? Next in line were Simeon and then Levi to get the birthright, to be the leader and the representative of the Jewish people. But because of the cruelty, the Hamas, that they did here in Genesis 34, Simeon and Levi disqualified themselves to receive the birthright. So Jacob pronounced their disqualification in the verses we just read in Genesis 49 when he said, Curse, I'm not going near you. Now, we've got the first three sons of Jacob's lineage who had disqualified themselves. Who's next in line to receive the birthright? Who's going to be the leader and the representative of the Jewish people? The first three sons have disqualified themselves received the received the birthright. It's Jacob's fourth son. It's Jacob's fourth son who is Judah. Because of self-disqualification of the first three sons, the birthright went to the fourthborn, which is Judah. Judah now is going to be the leader and the representative of the Jewish people. All the Jewish people will be gathered around Judah. Judah will be their king. Judah would hold the king's scepter. Judah will be the king of the Jews, which Jacob pronounced on his deathbed when he said, and this is what he meant when he said in Genesis 49, 8, Genesis 49, 8, Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion. And as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The Lord Jesus Christ is from the line of Judah. Jacob spoke of Judah in Genesis 49, 9. He couched as a lion, he was a lion, and so forth. The Lord Jesus Christ is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jacob spoke of Judah holding the king's scepter. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The Lord Jesus Christ from the tribe of Judah in Matthew 2, 2 is he that is born king of the Jews in his birth. And in Matthew 27, 37, he died that way, king of the Jews. And in Acts 1, 16, he is today still king of the Jews. Now, we're looking back now on Genesis 34, and the best word to describe all this terrible day, this was a worst day, this has got to be the worst day in Jacob's life. The best word to describe this is the word but all, cold, all, all, 
See, Genesis 34, 25, they slew, they slew all the males. Genesis 34, 28, they took their sheep, their oxen, their asses, that which is in the city, that which is in the field, and all their wealth and all their little ones and their wives took they captive, spoiled even all that was in the house. It was a total killing of the males, a total plundering. And now, in the second to last verse of this chapter, Jacob finally says something. We've been waiting for you, Jacob, to say something already. And so in verse 30, it says, Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you've troubled me to make me to stink among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites, Perizzites, I being few in number, they shall gather themselves together against me and shall slay me and I shall be destroyed, I and my house. See, Jacob told his sons they had troubled him. Now, what was Jacob troubled over is the question. What was he troubled over? His reputation they gave me a bad reputation. I mean, Jacob did not participate in those crimes that his family did. Sins done by Christians, like Jacob, it hurts us because it brings a bad reputation on believers. I was just reading yesterday in the Chicago Tribune about a particular church, how they cannot get away, as they said, the moral stench left by their pastor who was serving time in prison for being like Shechem and taking a 16-year-old girl across state lines to defile her. Now, what that pastor did hurts believers just as what Jacob's sons did hurt Jacob's reputation. But when we see what Jacob said to his sons, you know, you you trouble me, we want to say to Jacob, Jacob, is that all you think that was wrong about what your sons did? Is that all you're troubled about? What the inhabitants might do to you? I mean, how about just the wrongness of their crimes? I mean, obviously, in verse 30, there's something wrong in the life of Jacob. Jacob is cowering again before these strong-willed sons of his. He's not taking the lead in his family. And the only thing that Jacob rebukes his son for is giving him a bad name. But he doesn't rebuke him for the sins that they had committed. And that can so easily happen to us where the only thing we think about is the consequences of sin. And that's what troubles us, not the awfulness of the sin itself, just like what's going to happen as a result of this. And from what Jacob has said to his sons in verse 30, it looks like he's got something to worry about, but it shows a weakness in Jacob as, again, he's cowering in front of these strong-minded sons. We see Jacob only worried about his reputation. Now, we see that Simeon and Levi, they have the last word in this chapter. It's the last word. It ends with them. It says, they said, should he deal with our sisters with an harlot? So what we see here again is another statement that's not true. I mean, but it was used to justify the crimes they committed. Shechem mistreated Dinah, yes, but he never treated her as a harlot. And this shows the bullheadedness of Simeon and Levi to create this reality that was not a reality that just quieted their own consciences. In essence, this chapter is closing with Levi and Simeon shutting Jacob down. And that's a sad commentary on Jacob's family. This abdicated or taken over coup within his family as we see Jacob as the fallen head of the home. But what was really hard for Jacob was that he was trying to lead his sons, Simeon and Levi. You know, maybe I can kind of lead them a little bit to repentance, just kind of get them thinking. If I could just get them to start to think of how it's endangered our family, maybe. Maybe that can be the beginning of them hanging their heads and saying, boy, we were wrong. You know, a little hope. But poor Jacob, he didn't get any traction at all 
with his sons. Instead, as he tried to reason with them, they withstood him all the more to his face and stood him down. And Jacob was so torn because he's looking into the faces, into the faces of Simeon and Levi, and he sees, he sees his sons he loves. He sees the sons he loves, and he also sees murderers. And Jacob's trying so hard to reason with them, but in the end, they're stronger than Jacob. You know, when I see this scene, I, I relate to it. It reminds me because this is what happens to me so often with, with so many Jewish people. I speak to them. I try to reason from the, from the scriptures with them. I try to lead them to their Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. But so often, the person is so strong that I'm talking to is so zealous, they just overpower me. I feel like Jacob. <laughs> I've told some of the Jewish people, you're stronger than I am. And then I say to God, Lord, I can't do this, but you can. Lord, they're stronger than me. They're not stronger than you. So please take over. So when we look at Jacob at the end of chapter 34, it's pretty sad. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's a really sad scene for Jacob. In this last verse of chapter 34, we see a Jacob who has been overridden. In this last verse of chapter 34, we see a Jacob who is shocked at what his family has done. This last verse here in chapter 34, we see a Jacob who stands alone and is discouraged. No one is standing with him. No one is there to comfort him in his distress. Now, we can relate to this. We look at it because in this last verse, because, you know, we can say, I've been there. It's a really hard place to be in life when you're crushed and you're defeated and you're discouraged. And, this, and so what happens? What happens to a believer when he's crushed, defeated, discouraged in life? That's what makes the first verse of chapter 25 so wonderful. Because of the, for the crushed, defeated, discouraged Jacob, God steps in and speaks. And I'm so glad that there's a chapter break here, which wasn't in the original, but I'm glad it's here now. Because Jacob needs the chapter 34 in his life to close. And Jacob needs a new chapter 35 to open in his life. And that alone shows us that the chapter 34s in our lives will come to a close. And so God sees this crushed, defeated, discouraged Jacob in the last verse of chapter 34, and God breaks through the clouds in verse one. And God said unto Jacob, arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. See this transitioning from the last verse of chapter 34 to the first verse of chapter 35, we can imagine Jacob saying to God, Lord, I wasn't a party in these crimes here in Shechem. And God saying, I know. Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make there an altar unto God. And Jacob says, Lord, I tried to stop. I really did. I tried to stop Simeon and Levi from the stealing, the killing, and the destroying. And God says, I know. Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God. And Jacob says, Lord, I didn't raise my sons to be these thieves and killers and destroyers. And God says, I know. Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God. He says, Lord, I tried to rebuke Simeon and Levi for the crimes that they did, and they didn't listen to me. They just stood me down. God says, I know. Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God. Lord, Simeon and Levi made me stink in front of all these Canaanites. I'm afraid I'm, I'm going to be slaughtered by them. God says, I know. Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, make there an altar unto God. So what we can learn from this transition 
from the last verse of chapter 34 to the first verse of chapter 35 is that when we've got deep, deep problems in our lives and we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, I'm in a deep trouble over this situation and over that situation. And all we can think about and all we can talk to God about are our problems. God has the same response to us as to Jacob. Yeah, I know. Verse one, arise, make an altar to God. But what we have to do when our problems have crushed us and defeated us and discouraged us, like Jacob, is to hear God say, arise, make an altar to God. Rebuild the altar of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ through morning devotions. Rebuild the altar of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ through scripture meditation. Rebuild the altar of worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ through prayer. And you know what our natural self does? Our natural self says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah for all that altar stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. But I'm gonna do this, and I'm about to do that, and I'm about to do the other thing. And that's what's really important. And God says, no, those things are not really important. What's important for you right now is rebuilding your altar of worshiping me. And we say, but what about all those other things I just reiterated to you? And God says, Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Go build that altar, and so often we say, well, that's not the answer I was looking for. You know, we, sometimes we take the position of Naaman the Syrian leper, 2 Kings 5, 2 Kings 5, 9. Naaman came with his horses, his chariot, stood at the door of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, go wash in Jordan. Seven times thy flesh shall become, come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. Naaman was wroth, went away and said, behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, strike his hand over the place, recover the leper. Are not Arbana and Farfug rivers in Damascus better than all these waters in Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. You know, we do that. We go on trying to fix our problems. It gets worse, and God says, how's that altar coming for you? How's that altar builder going? And, you know, God says, I've been wondering because, you know, I've been standing by the worship phone here waiting for you to call, but no call. Yeah, Lord, you know, as soon as I fix these problems, I'll I'll call you, I'll call you. And God says, okay, I'll just keep standing by the phone. This will be good. So often we lose because we say to ourselves, I can fix these problems. I just get a little help from God and then I can do it. And we can hear Jacob's flesh speaking out at the end of verse one and saying, oh, yeah, 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 for all that altar stuff, but but what am I gonna do about the rebellion of my sons? And uh, should I make new rules? And what am I going to do about to protect myself from the Canaanites who want to slaughter me? Should I get more armed guards? Should I do more warfare training? And God says, no, those things are not really important. What's important for you right now? Arise, go up to Bethel, dwell there, and make there an altar unto God. That's what's important for you right now. That's your highest priority right now. And Jacob could have said, well, what about all these other things? And God would have responded with Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Go build that altar. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that there are chapter 35s in our lives and they don't end with chapter 34. And Lord, we pray that what happened in chapter 34 might be a great learning experience for us and that, Lord, you would help us to also build that altar in Jesus' name, amen.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the heavens and the earth? Then come celebrate Creation Day on Saturday, November 5th from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This is a Christian family festival event with games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, petting zoos, animal shows, super science experiments for kids, plus life-size dinosaurs at our brand-new Dinosaur Gardens exhibit, plus world-renowned speakers, Ray Comfort, Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, Jay Siegert, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements are free for your family and the entire church family. The Creation Earth History Museum is located off Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue North in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. Bring your family and friends Saturday, November 5th and strengthen your faith at Creation Day, San Diego's Christian Family Festival event. For more information, call 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org creationsd.org.